Hey, welcome to the Cold Turkey Podcast. This week, I'm sitting down with Connor. Yeah, I mean, like, those are the conversations that I absolutely love about the podcast. You know, like, we're going in every aspect of his life, and we discuss, um, well, sure enough, you know, like, all of his life path, and, you know, like, where it, it has brought him in the darkest sides of things. But on top of that, you know, like, finding peace and sobriety with all the tools that at his disposal. And, you know, that's the beauty of that. So <clears throat> I love having those conversations and, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you'll, you'll enjoy it too. So um, here, here he is, you know, like here's Connor. Enjoy. Hey, Connor, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, so we're going to kick this off by a few questions. Um, the first one is where are you located? In what region are you located? And the second one is how has been the pandemic for you, my friend? So I am located in the U.S. and I'm in northern Florida. Um I know that you're based in Canada, so for your Canadian listeners, um, Florida has probably been one of the most uh, free and open places during the pandemic. Um, that's been, you know, very uh, nice to be able to experience. I've been really grateful for that. Uh, our governor shut down uh, businesses for only a couple weeks, and um, you know, just kind of at the beginning when uh, most states did that and shut stuff down to kind of like slow that curve that they were talking about. And, um, you know, after that, uh, he began to open up restaurants and businesses and, um, you know, gave everybody the right to go to work and make a living and, um, you know, the right to go out and make your own choices and stuff like that. And, uh, I'm a big fan of that. So, um, as far as our state during the pandemic, it's been, I would say as close to normal as any other state probably, um, there's not a mask mandate enforced here. Uh, most private businesses have, you know, signs and whatnot that you must wear a mask going in. Um, however, it isn't enforced by the local government. They do not impose fines or uh, arrest or anything like that for uh, defying the order. So that's been nice. Um, as far as business and stuff like that, I'm in the transportation industry, so that never stops. Uh, so it's been great that uh, I've been fortunate enough to be in that business the whole time. And our business has actually done uh, very well throughout it. Um, you know, I have a lot of empathy for all the people that are out there without the right to go to work and uh, things like that. So I'm very grateful to be able to have that privilege. It is just crazy. I mean, like that at the same time, like there's... Um there's really something about you know, like the fact that have you seen uh, like a, a negative a, a negative impact of like being let's say freer in terms of you know like the, the amount of cases that you guys had compared to other um uh states no not at all so um our state actually has less deaths per capita than new york um one of the states that's been locked down the pretty much the entire time same thing with california uh, we have less cases per capita than both of those two states as well that have been locked down for pretty much the entire pandemic. Um, our economy is doing far better than those places because people have a right to go to work and make money. 
Um, and, you know, obviously that stimulates money velocity and people spending and going out and doing things. So our economy has fared pretty well because of it. Um, I would say that there's been no negative impact at all from being freer. I think it's all positive impact and people uh, having the ability to make your own choices is what a republic is based on. I mean, you know, like I, I, I'm super, um, super curious about that. You know, like for me, it's just so I guess you know, like even like the social gathering and all that stuff, you know, like hasn't been quite impacted by the situation in terms of, you know, like your day to day um, getting together with friends for barbecue or whatever still is a go. Yep. Still normal. Um, so I've kept our on-site location open the entire time uh, throughout the pandemic. We never shut down. I gave my employees the option to work from home if that would make them feel safer during the beginning of the pandemic, because we were all kind of still in the unknown of what this pandemic was going to be. Um, so I let them, you know, have that decision to work from home if they would have chose to do that or stay in the office and work. Um, we've had several cases within our office Um, all of the people have gotten well. Um, it's been just like any kind of flu or sickness like that. I've actually had it two times. Um, the first time I got extremely sick and, uh, it was probably worse than the flu. Um, but I beat it. Everything was fine. And the second time, the only symptom I had was I lost my taste and smell. And I'm assuming that's because my body had built up some antibodies from the first time that I got the virus. Um, but basically, I mean, we've just been living as if uh, everything is normal. And we realize that this is a sickness that will be out there. It is a virus. There's no way to eradicate it. The only way is to live and make smart decisions and uh, continue with your life. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, like it's coming from, you know, like, you know, like the, the old situation here, um, It, you know, like it, it almost sounds odd, you know, like, so, so <laughs> I can't, oh, I, can't. I know. Sure. Like we were talking about earlier, I've seen some stuff on the internet about Canada and it just seems like, like to me, it seems unbelievable. I'm like, how could this, it's like tyrannical? How could this be happening almost? I mean, at the same time, we hear, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs saying, for example, you know, like the restoration, um, segment of the industry is saying that, you know, like probably over 60%, you know, can you imagine, you know, like over 60% are not going to survive that fucking crisis. You know, like, so, sure. I mean, and then, you know, my like, heart goes out to all the small businesses because there's several friends that I have who are entrepreneurs and owners of small businesses. And I've seen the impact that it's had on their businesses and their lives and all of their employees lives. And it's just so sad to see. It's crazy. It's just crazy. And, you know, like it's, uh, yeah, I mean, like it's just, it's just interesting to talk about um, how have other people been handling the situation and not really see, even though, you know, like, um, let's say, you know, like the, the, the ruling is looser, you don't see such an explosion of cases, you know, like, so, so well, sure. I mean, it's all about letting people make their own decisions. If you're old or if you're have comorbidities and you're going to be more prone to the virus and, and being affected worse by it, then you make different decisions than somebody like myself, who's 27 years old and in perfect health. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more, you know, like it's, um, right off the bat, you know, like that's something that, you know, like, um, Even Joe Rogan has talked a lot about, you know, like what, you know, like what are the conditions under, you know, like you got, you're going to get, um, quite aggravate, aggravated, you know, like by, by the sickness, you know, like, and, and, um, 
we opened the door right away to, you know, like taking some vitamins, you know, like precisely some vitamin vitamins and, and yeah, I mean, like it, for me, it was, um, interesting to hear that, you know, like, like you said, you know, like if you, if you're predisposed to get, let's say sick easier, um, just don't go, don't go out there. You know, like it's, uh, um, yeah, just make different decisions than somebody who's in perfect health. I mean, I think the whole reason why our state is doing so well is because our governor has let us make our own choices. And, you know, for the people who are going to be affected more, like I said, they can make a different decision than somebody like me who is not afraid of the virus whatsoever. And, and at the same time, we, you know, like there's, there's a part of me that understands that under, um, the current age of, of, um, information management, um, it, it would be hard, you know, like I would be hard pressed to, um, cause, and I'm going to use huge quote unquote air quotes, uh, here, but, um, prejudice to some segment of the population. Yeah, sure. I, you, I understand that completely. You know, so, so instead of, you know, like saying, and you know, it's good, it's not going to be politically correct, especially in 2021, but you know, like you're too old, too fat, you know, too, too <laughs> sure. sick, you know? Um, so you know what, these people stay inside, you know, like it would be, it would be almost, um, unimaginable to 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 see that you know like so so i i i may understand that an authority would say you know what you know like i don't want to take any chances and i'm not going to fall into that you know um prejudice trap i'm going to say everyone's inside you know like fuck it you know sure i mean i like i said you know i don't have anything against uh, anyone who makes different choices than me if they believe those choices are in the best interest of their own health then by all means make those choices um you know that's that's just the way that i feel about it i feel as if all people should be given a choice um because everyone's situation is different and i think they especially children are being affected by this more than anything i have a son who's almost 18 months old and all i can think to myself is my son is literally growing up watching people walk around with mask on like socially how fucked up is that going to make him you know what i mean like so i think about stuff like that and i don't think a lot of people are even thinking like my kid goes to daycare and all of his teachers are in masks like how, what kind of a connection is that i mean that there's going to be uh, documented PTSD cases of what you just described. Right. For sure. I mean, and uh, I think that's something that everybody's kind of saying like, ah, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's not as important as all this other shit. I mean, like I said, you know, like anyone that has, um, that is challenged by any of the social interaction codes, um, like the nonverbal and all that stuff. I mean, it's going to be, it's, it's a nightmare. Um, For sure. you know, like, it's funny. I just got a dog and my, the neighbor is, um, is a good friend of my wife and, and his daughter, um, when she saw the photo was like, Hey, I, I want to go come and, pet, you know, and pet him. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, sure. And she, you know, and so she came in and she's, I'd say maybe 10, 11 years old. And she, we've put in place something called the bubble, which is, um, like they do in sports, but for elementary school. So they pick like two other kids and they say, okay, that's your friend's bubble. And that's going to be who you're spending the whole year school year with, you know? And mm -hmm. so 
she looked at us and it's like, and she's like, can I come in? And she was all, you know, like not only shy, but, you know, I like kind of, you know, like under the, the pressure of, you know, like she shouldn't be there and, you know, and right. we were like, hey, come on, you know, like just take, take, take your boots off and come in, you know, like just, <laughs> you know, like enjoy be a human being <laughs> and enjoy the dog. I mean, like the, the dog's a puppy and, you know, like just enjoy it, you know? And, um, and then she started talking a bit and saying, you know what, you know, like I'm 11 and spending a full year with only two kids, you know, like, you, you know, like, and, and some you do get along fine at the beginning, but you know, like they're 11 years old for God's sake. I mean, like it changes on a, you know, like on a dime, right. You know, like it, it's your best friend and then it's like your, your worst enemy, you know, <laughs> so. Especially when you're 11. I mean, that's crazy. You know, like, so, and I was listening to her, I was like, you got them right. And like, I wouldn't, I, you know, like I, I would have panicked, you know, like just, these guys, you know, like I'm going to be spending the full year with these people really in anyways, you know, like it would be, <sighs> yeah. I, uh, it is, man. It's very difficult. I think it's going to create some deep rooted, uh, you know, social issues, uh, in some children. And, um, I feel like a lot of parents aren't even realizing that it's happening. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing, um, I have to ask you is, have you seen um, kind of an outburst of people either relaxing, uh, relapsing, uh, or depression, or you know, like have have you been you know like hearing about you know like kind of the um, well in your region maybe less, but you know like have have you heard about people getting more yeah anxious or 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 that kind of deal? Well, yeah, a hundred percent. So, um, you know, even though I'm based in Florida, I talk to people pretty much all over the world, um, that will send me messages and things like that, uh, especially on Instagram. And, um, you know, I've spoken to several people that are in high school, um, in some of these States that they've been doing virtual school. And, um, you know, a lot of these kids are like 16, 17, even 18 years old and reach out to me like, Hey man, I'm just so depressed. Like can't do anything. I have these ideas that I want to pursue and I feel like I'm never going to be able to do it. And I'm like, damn, I just can't imagine how that would feel as a 17 year old with a great idea in my head and all of this ambition and energy to pursue it. But circumstances don't allow me that would make me fucking depressed. No doubt. I mean, like I, you know, like they skip prom and you know, like when I heard that, I was like, man, I would have lost my shit. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I mean, come on, man. Kids want to have fun. Like let them be kids, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't Especially care. when the research shows that the disease isn't transmitted as much by children as it is by the older people. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, and then again, you know, like, uh, we, we, we spoke about this, you know, like right before we started recording, like, uh, there's so many, um, so much information that goes left and right and left and right that, you know, like I, you know, like almost a year now later, I still am not sure what it's, you know, like the right from the wrong, you know, like, so <sighs> You know, like it's crazy. I mean, my belief will always be rooted in people should have a choice. And that's just what my belief will always be. I'll never say I'm right or I'm left and all that stuff. You know, I just have this huge belief that in freedom, people should have a choice. Yes. But at the same time, that's what we talked about. You know, like the, there's a lot of people that are quite gullible 
And I, yeah, I, exactly. would, I would so much like it to be a joke to tell you that Friday, one of the newscast segment was about the argument of maybe doubling our masks. And oh yeah. I mean, I, I turn on the news every so often just to get a, you know, a quick chuckle. And I saw that on there as well. And I'm like, really, we're going to double our mask here. Why don't I just give you mine and then you can wear two and I'll be fine. I mean, <laughs> and that's not a bad idea. Uh, yeah, no, it's funny because I get in arguments with our landlord, um, a lot and because I don't make any of my employees wear masks and the landlord has this thing where in common areas of the building, they have a mask requirement and I don't enforce it at all. Um, so, you know, I got an argument with them last week and I'm like, uh, I was walking towards the elevator and she came up to me and she's like, Hey, you know, you're supposed to wear a mask. And I said, Hey, here you go. If, here's mine. Would that make you feel better if you put mine on? Because if you put mine on, there's pretty much no possible way that any of this stuff that I have going on over here is going to get to you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she kind of looked at me like I had 10 heads and then I got in the elevator and went upstairs. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Oh, okay. Enough of that. <laughs> I'm going to start losing yeah, my definitely. mind um, if it's not already done so. Um, right. All right. So as I do every week, um, I, I actually ask my guests to rewind their life story tape to the beginning. And uh, what I mean by the beginning, it's either the first time you did use whatever you'd use that kind of has altered your 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 mental state of mind or... In, in some other cases, um, they've been so much impacted by someone else using that they describe this as pretty much the beginning of their life story. Sure. And so yeah. bring, I, me, uh, bring me to either one of them. I think I would probably fall uh, a little bit under both of those. So um, just a little, you know, I'll give you a synopsis as, as short as I can, because I tend to run on when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, so when I grew up, I grew up with two alcoholic parents in my home. Um, from a young age, I watched my parents drink themselves into oblivion. I watched my father and mother physically and verbally abuse each other uh, and myself and my brother. And, um, you know, that unresolved trauma from my childhood festered and turned itself into my addiction later on because I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. Um, so, and I always interject with this because I have great relationships with both of my parents today. My dad has been sober for almost 13 years, my mom for like almost 20. Um, and, uh, you know, we have great relationships today and they are great people and parents never choose to be bad parents. Nobody's ever born and the parent sits there and says, Hey, I'm going to fuck this kid up. I'm going to be a bad parent. It just doesn't happen like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, people only know what they know and what they've seen from their experiences. And, uh, you know, they kind of put that into their lives, uh, later on. So both of my parents there, they had alcoholism in their family. And, uh, you know, sure enough, when nothing's done different, history repeats itself. And that's what kind of happened with my family. And uh, when I was 10, my parents got divorced. Uh, my mom got sober and was pretty much like, hey, you know, if you're not going to change your life, I'm going to have to go and do something else. And my dad kept drinking. And um, we we got like a custody split. We went with my mom every so often, my dad every so often. My dad got so bad that I, we didn't even want to go to his house. Like we would hide in the woods when he came to pick us up type of deal. And um, so when I was 16... That was the first time I tried anything. It was alcohol. 
and uh, I was at a party with my friends and I had just got into a relationship with a girl uh, who was older than me. She was a grade older than me. And in high school, I mean, I know anyone that's listening that's been to high school can can think back and think about this. You know, when you're in a relationship with a girl who's in a grade older than you, it's just so cool. And, you know, you want to fit in and you want to be, you know, part of that crew. And um, there was still a lot of... Um, sorrow in me that I had never dealt with, uh, a lot of anger um, that I had never dealt with from my childhood. And uh, I think when I tried drinking for the first time, and I realized that I didn't have to think about any of that stuff, uh, was kind of like when I got hooked on using substances as an outlet. Um, So I went to a party, got drunk for the first time, uh, absolutely loved it, woke up the next day, threw up for like, five hours and didn't drink again, like for a long time. Cause I was like, man, I don't know if this is worth it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then I went to another party maybe about a month later and I smoked pot for the first time. And after that, it was about six months later that I started doing, uh, just prescription pills like Xanax and painkillers and things of that nature. And about three months after that, I was shooting heroin. So my drug addiction progressed extremely fast. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the numbing of the emotions that were still there that I didn't know how to deal with. Um, so I got kicked out of high school. Um, I made a rap video of all the things that I thought were wrong with the teachers and the administration and stuff like that. And, uh, needless to say, it was very inappropriate. Um, And I got kicked out of that school. And after that, I kind of just went on an absolute tear where I was like, hey, look, you know what? Uh, Nothing that I'm doing is going to work. So I'm just going to try to go all in on getting fucked up. And um, I got Baker acted twice. Um, I went to a wilderness program for four months. I graduated from that wilderness program. And then I moved to Salt Lake City, Utah to a treatment center out there. I got kicked out of my first treatment center um, for defying the rules and then went to another treatment center in Salt Lake city, Utah. And I finished my senior year of high school in Salt Lake city, Utah. And I had a scholarship to the university of Utah to pay, to play baseball. Um, that was my thing. You know, I pretty much breathed, eat and slept for baseball. That was my whole life. I I always thought that I would just be a pro baseball player and I was going to be set through that. Um, so I actually ended up deciding not to go to college and I came home uh, because I was in a, in a relationship with that same girl who I spoke about previously when I first drank alcohol. Um, I was in a very codependent relationship. I had no self-esteem. I didn't believe in myself at all. So I was kind of given this ultimatum like, hey, you know, if you're going to stay out there and go to college, we're probably not going to work out. And I was like, oh, okay, well, right now I'm not uh, sure of myself at all. I have no confidence, no self-esteem. I'm completely codependent on this person for my worth. So I'm going to go home and be with this person. Uh, About two weeks later, I was back on heroin. I was in jail. I did uh, seven months that time, got out and I was on probation. I did well for maybe six months of that probation. And then I relapsed and I tried to use fake pee at a halfway house I was at to uh, pass a drug test. And needless to say, I'm the most terrible criminal ever because I handed this dude a cup full of cold piss. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he kind of looked at me like, hey, man, you know, this is I've been around a halfway house for a little bit and pee ain't supposed to be cold. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so right then I was like, oh, fuck, I'm done. So I got kicked out of that halfway house and 
I moved into another one and most, at least from my experience, most of the halfway houses that I've ever been in is a money pit. And the people that open these homes, they do it privately and they don't care about the people that live in them. They do it because they make a fuck ton of money from it. And the people end up not getting better and relapsing. I'm not saying that's every halfway house out there, but from my experience, most of the ones that I've been to are just like that. So I got into this next halfway house and within about two weeks, uh, I was using drugs and the dude basically never drug tested me. Uh, if he did drug test me, he would tell me like, I don't know, two weeks in advance. So I could not use drugs and pass the drug test. And, uh, I paid him rent every single month to live there. And while I was living there, I was using, I was still going to meetings and hiding everything. Um, and eventually it got to a point where, I just felt so guilty and so shameful and I was just so sick of lying and living this fake life that I went all in on drugs and I left that house and I went and slept on couches uh, for a little while. Pretty much anyone that was in my circle of drug friends that would let me sleep on their couch. Um, and then I was homeless for a little bit. Um, I was pretty much just like sleeping in parks and stuff like that. And, um, after that, I got my life together for a little while. Um, I was, I actually, this was, so we talked about, you know, these kind of moments and this was one of these moments for me. Um, this was when I pretty much had nothing in my life, like absolutely no one. My family didn't even want to talk to me. Um, you know, I had caused so much turmoil and stole money and like just all kind of shit. And, um, you know, they wanted nothing to do with me. So I was like, okay, well, you know, if I don't have my family and I don't have like anything else, I'm just going to end my life. And, uh, I was in a gas station bathroom one night and it was like 2 AM and I was shooting cocaine and heroin at the same time. And I mean, I'm sure everyone that's listening has knows at least something about the combo of what that is, um, and how devastating it can be to someone's body if used, you know, too much. Um, and I overdosed. And as I was seizing to the ground, I had no control over my body and I hit the toilet with my head. And when I hit the toilet with my head, it jarred me so much that it was like this supernatural force uh, helped me gain control over my body again, because I, there's nothing else that I can use to describe the feeling besides that. And um, I looked up on top of the toilet on the whatever the top of that toilet is called. I'm not really sure the tank, I guess. And, um, there was a pamphlet there and on that pamphlet, it said your ticket to heaven. And when I opened that pamphlet, it was talking about Jesus and talking about how Jesus is our savior and how we accept them into our heart that we can uh, go to heaven and pretty much, you know, anything that you would you'd hear about with that kind of thing. And that day I was like, man, and so mind you, things like this have happened in my life several times. Uh, this was just more so like one of the more extreme ones where I really think I should have died that night. And, um, so the next day I called my mom and I begged her to let me come stay with her. And, uh, I told her I was ready to stop using drugs and, and I just wanted a different life. And, uh, she did, she let me come stay with her for a little while. I stayed there and I was sober again for, I don't know, maybe like three to five months, something like that. And, um, I said, okay, well, you know, I mean, alcohol has never been my problem, so I'm just going to drink alcohol. And, uh, then I started drinking a lot and, um, 
also, I mean, I was drinking a lot too, because I was still on probation and I knew that there was just no way that I was going to go to jail for drinking too much. Like if I popped dirty for a drug, obviously that would be a different story. Um, so I started drinking a lot and I was on the way home one night, uh, from a friend's house. And as I was driving, I was actually not intoxicated. Um, I wasn't under the influence of any substance or alcohol or anything, but I did have a computer duster in my car and I was huffing that like nitrous oxide, basically for any of the listeners that don't know what that is. It basically, you suck it in and, um, once it hits you, you basically go brain dead and pretty much like feel like you're just floating weightless, no worries, can't think about anything. Um, so for me at the time, it was an amazing feeling because I still hadn't dealt with the emotions. Uh, the underlying issues. So I was driving my car and I was hitting computer duster and I passed out and crashed my car head on into a tree. I woke up to uh, a ton of cops around me with flashlights and they asked me if I'd been drinking. I told them no, which I hadn't been. Um, but fortunately for me, the cops didn't believe that I wasn't under the influence of something because it was such a far-fetched situation. How could a kid just run off the road and crash his car into a tree? I tried to lie and say that I saw a deer and that's what made me run off the road. Um, but thank God they didn't buy it. So those cops actually took me to jail for a DUI. Um, even though I, I actually, uh, did a breathalyzer and did like triple zeros, like four times and they still took me to jail to this day. I'm very grateful for that. But at that time I was pissed off <laughs> and, um, they took me to jail. I got out the next day and because I got a new arrest, even though later on I didn't have a charge on that case, um, I still violated my probation. So about a week later I got arrested for violation of probation. And then I spent uh, 13 months behind bars. After that, I got out and um, I pretty my dad had a company and I pretty much begged him to give me a job there. Um, you know, I had never done anything in my life for myself and I was ready at that time to at least try to do something. So I begged him to give me a job and uh, he did. I started there and I was making like 300 bucks a week, working like 40 to 50 hours a week. And, uh, you know, rightfully so, I started at the bottom of the company and um, I was still making bad choices. I was still partying. I just wasn't doing hard drugs. And the whole thing that I kept telling myself is it's fine because this is just me experiencing the young 20 years like everyone else is. You know, I saw all my friends going out to bars and partying and stuff like that. And I thought to myself, well, why can't I do that? And, um, so I was drinking and then, uh, sure enough, I was out one night and people had cocaine. So I tried that, loved it. was like, man, I can't believe I stopped doing this. Why did I stop doing it? Um, and you know, when you relapse, a lot of times we forget how bad the shit really gets. Um, because we like to lie to ourselves and tell ourselves that it'll be different. And, uh, it turns out it wasn't different for me either. <laughs> um, so I got back on that and about, three months into it, I was dry. I had saved up enough money to purchase a used car. I purchased a car. Um, and I was driving home from a party. It was just obliterated out of my mind, swerving all over the road, had no business being behind a wheel. And I got pulled over and the cop came up to my window and he asked me if I had been drinking. And there was something inside of me that it was this feeling of just complete surrender. And I looked right in his eyes and I told him, yes. And he looked at me like I had 10 heads or something like, man, you're not really supposed to say that, you know? And, uh, he said, all right, well, let me get your license and registration. So he takes my license and registration, takes it back to the car. 
And it was probably like the longest three minutes of my life. I'm like the whole time I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm going to jail. Like I'm accepting this. He's back there looking at my record. He knows I'm probation. He knows I'm drunk. So, I mean, what reason would I not go to jail? Right. So he comes back to the car. He looks at me and he asks me if I can get somebody to come pick me up. And it was like the most relieving. Um, and also just un like the word, what's the word? I just couldn't understand why he was doing it. Um, and so I got my brother to come pick me up and he took me home and it's the, wh- how did you, how did you, uh, what was the terminology that you used earlier when it was like the moment where you just changed like the cold Turkey, that's yep. what you used. Okay. So <laughs> my, it's funny because like, dude, my, my cold Turkey is totally different. Like I had relapsed. I had been to jail six times. I had been to five different treatment centers. Um, I had overdosed multiple times, like, and none of that like changed me. None of that made me realize that I was going to die. Um, until that night when that cop let me go home, Uh, I woke up the next morning and I factory reset my phone, deleting all of my contacts and all of the information that I had in it because I knew that was my outlet to get whatever I wanted was my phone and all the information within. Um, and I looked myself in the mirror and I just was so ready for something different. I hated the outcome of the situations. And up until that point, I hadn't internalized the fact that the outcomes were a complete reflection of the decisions I was making right? Because I had no accountability and I blame my parents for my problems. And if they weren't alcoholics, you know, I wouldn't be this fucked up. And I, I just wanted no responsibility. Um, and when I woke up that morning, it, it was like, and I'll, I'll get a little spiritual on you. So I was hearing this voice in my head that morning and the voice was saying, this is not it. And I couldn't figure out what that meant probably until I don't know, the last two years when I really started to reflect and think about it. And what I realize now is that that voice was me telling myself that this is not it. This is not everything that life can be. Um, And my problem was I had no willingness to believe that I could create something different. I was so stuck in the results that I had been getting and thinking that that was just going to be my life forever. And once I realized that the results were a reflection of the decisions, well, then I started to look within and started to realize that my problems were completely based off of my unwillingness to do something different. Um, So that morning, I looked myself in the mirror. I cried for like hours and hours and hours. And I was like, man, I'm fucking done with this shit. I don't want to do this anymore. I hate my life. I hate myself. I hate the... Uh, negative shit that I'm imposing on my family and all the people that care about me. And I was just so done. So like I said, I got up, I factory reset my phone. And that day I made a conscious decision that I was going to try everything in my power to build a life worth living. And I think a lot of people get it misconstrued about being clean and sobriety and stuff like that. It's not about not doing drugs. It's about loving yourself so much that you don't even want to right? Because the, the one of the main reasons I did drugs is because I hated who I was and I couldn't understand my emotions and I didn't know how to navigate all of this stuff within. Um, and once I figured all that out, I realized that it was the underlying issue that was making me turn towards the substances. Um, so after that, my journey was, I started working for my dad and in 2018, um, him and I actually co-founded a new business together. And, um, 
as far as the sobriety and stuff like that, I just use my platform to try to reach as many young people as I can. And the reason I try to direct my content towards younger people is because I feel like there's not a lot of people that are my age, I'm 27, that have been through the things that I've been through and got out on top and are willing to speak about them. Um, so, I mean, as far as the story and the journey, that is the journey to sobriety. Um, from the time that I, you know, got into my active addiction to, to then. Um, and then, I mean, as far as if you want to hear stuff about just business and stuff like that, I can talk to you more about that. Or if you had any questions about the recovery process or anything that I've learned that's been valuable through that time. I definitely have a few. Uh, <laughs> the first question would be, um, any brothers and sisters in there? You know, like, Yeah. So I have a younger brother. He is 24. He's three years younger than me. And, um, you know, my brother watched me go through all of that in life and I never really knew how hard it was on him until I really started to, uh, think about it, you know, and really more so recently him and I have talked about it a lot. And, uh, you know, a lot of us don't realize the massive effect that we have on the people around us that love us uh, through our own self-destruction. And, you know, now that I realize that him and I have a great relationship and we talk about stuff all the time. Um, but he, he saw me go through all that and that was rough as a kid, you know, he was 14 or he was 13 when I started all that. And, you know, like, uh, I, I love talking about kind of the, the, you know, like the family picture, but what, you know, like, was there a moment, um, that your parents, tried to or, or saw any you know like red flags of your behavior and you're like do you remember um any of the i'm i'm, I'm saying the parents but you know sometimes it's some figure of authority like you know like the the teacher or um kind of like raising the flag and saying conor is kind of taking you know like a left oh turn. yeah for sure left and right i had that all the time Um, so you got to think about my parents too. So my parents were alcoholics growing up and my, my mom got sober when I was like 10 or 11, but my dad didn't even start trying really, uh, to get sober until I was like 15. And then my dad got sober when I was 16. So you got to think about the parents perspective. Uh, they're still navigating their own sobriety and their own recovery and their own, uh, you know, coming back to being a healthy person. So how are they going to help me navigate that if they don't even know how to do it themselves? Um, and they tried with so many different things, you know, we did counseling rehabs, uh, groups, you know, all the things that you would think that a parent, uh, would try to do with a child that's going through, you know, circumstances like that. So yeah, they definitely did try. Um, you know, I had a coach around me who, uh, made a tremendous impact on my life. He was my baseball coach from the time I was like eight years old, eight or nine years old until I uh, left high school. And, you know, I remember one day I was in his office and it was my junior year of high school. And at that time it was like in the midst of me getting really, really bad, uh, in my addiction. And he just looked at me and he just broke down crying. And he was like, man, you can just do so much more than this. And like, I'll never forget that to this day. Um, because like those kind of people 
were not around as much like in my life, as far as the people that were encouraging and, and helping me believe in myself and stuff like that. I grew up in a home where, uh, you know, it wasn't cool to have emotions. You can't cry. Um, you know, uh, if you, that, that kind of stuff, basically you're a bitch, um, you know, was, was kind of like the household that I grew up in. Um, you know, so I think a lot of the deep rooted emotional issues were from that childhood time. And, my belief about addiction is that it is completely based off of unresolved trauma. And that unresolved trauma leads us to try things to basically numb our thoughts about that trauma because we just don't know how to deal with it. And we don't have people in our lives that are helping us navigate that stuff. Um, so, and you know, like you said, you know, like the, there was a moment where you say that can't be it. Um, you know, like it's funny because I, that's pretty much you know, like this, the question I asked, you know, like when was that moment of, you know, like kind of realizing that this, this shit can't be my life. You know, I could over and over and over repeating the same fucking errors and the same fucking, you know, like damaging behaviors. Um, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, definitely. So I had a lot of those moments um, throughout the process of trying to uh, get completely clean. And I think the difference with this specific moment is I made a decision that day that I wasn't going to give up when shit got hard because that was my problem. I was the person who loved the feeling of being motivated, but had no follow through with the actual actions. And that was my biggest problem. You know, I would get halfway through something and it would get hard as fuck. And I would be like, man, I don't think I could do this. And then the confidence would be gone and the insecurity would surface. And I would just quit because I didn't want to fail. Um, and then when I got to a point in my life where I realized that failure was the path to success, I started to fail early often and uh, all the time. Um, so you know, I think I had a lot of those moments, man. I think it was more so when I realized that it was more so about the patience, um, you know, because I had such like an instant gratification mindset. And that was part of my problem with trying to get clean is that when shit didn't get good, you know, quick, I was like, Hey, well, this ain't the answer. That's, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely, it's really tough, you know, to find the, the, find what's going to make it right while thinking about, you know, like that, what you're doing on a daily or, you know, uh, you know, like on a regular basis is wrong. For sure. I think for me, man, really, uh, counseling kind of hit it on the head for me. So, uh, in 2016, I started going to counseling once a week. And at first it was just part of the requirements of my probation to see a counselor once a week. And I kind of did it just as like, Hey, look, I got to follow the rules and I'm not really going to learn anything from this shit. So I went in with a closed mind and it took me about six months to open up and be like, wow, maybe this could help me. And after I did that and I went through this period of huge self-discovery, um, I kind of realized that I could take control of my life on my own. And, um, you know, I didn't need all of these programs and whatnot to tell me how to do it. Um, so when I went to counseling, I, I had a lot of self-discovery and realized that my issues were not the substance. My issues were completely based off of unresolved trauma in my life that I didn't understand how to deal with. Once I dealt with that, and once I was able to internalize process and move forward with those issues, 
any of the cravings for anything that was mind altering just went away because I started to actually like my life. Um, and once I started to build, you know, the business and my family, I have a wife and a son now, um, you know, the, any kind of craving or thought just went further and further and further away. Um, and you know, that's why I have this thesis that it isn't about the drugs, uh, or the substance. It's about the unresolved trauma. Um, you know, because I would have never, ever, ever been able to stay clean if I didn't fix those underlying issues, I would have always went back. I would have always relapsed because I would have never known how to internalize process and move forward on any of those things that had happened in my childhood. How do you, um, what is your, your, your mental health or, um, kind of your routine regimen now that you're living, uh, you know, like a, a healthier life? So one thing is I write in my journal every single day and that's huge. Um, I believe a hundred percent that your life should be lived on three pillars and that's optimism, empathy, and gratitude. Um, gratitude being a really, really important one. So I do that every day, write in my journal. It's a gratitude journal. And, you know, sometimes that can get off topic and I can write about other things, but mostly it's focused on, Hey, what am I grateful for today? And, um, I kind of start that before anything. And, uh, secondly, the biggest thing for me is giving away what I have. So, um, and the reason I say this is I have somebody who works for me and she's actually known me, uh, since I was a kid and she had a son who was a year younger than me and he overdosed on fentanyl, didn't even know that it was fentanyl, um, and overdosed on it and died. And it affected me like heavily. And I couldn't understand why at the time this was maybe like two or three years ago. And I couldn't understand why it affected me. And I realized, uh, it was because I wasn't doing anything to change the outcome of that kid's life. Even though I knew I could, um, even, I know it's not, you know, the, the greatest way to think like there's something I could have done, you know, to prevent that. But I knew personally that I wasn't doing enough with the gift that I had, which was my life and being clean and, and having a great life. Like I, I believe that I have this to share the possibility of this with others. Did um, you have, did you feel you had pressure to, or still have a, a you know, like a, a sense of duty of, of giving an example out of, you know, like what you've gone through? Yes, I do. A hundred percent. And I feel like that's actually part of my purpose. So there was a time in the business where I was just completely burnt out. And I mean, like, I didn't really even like going to the office. Um, it was just like operational burnout, you know, doing the same stuff every single day over and over and over again, not changing it up. And I kind of took a step back and started to reflect and realize that I was working on the hamster wheel and I wasn't thinking about fulfillment. You know, I was thinking about all of these things that aren't as important, like money and status. And like, I mean, dude, 2018 was the year that I made the most money I ever made in my life. And I was the most miserable I'd ever been in my entire life. Um, and it's because I, re uh, that, that year I thought that money was going to make me happy. And when it didn't, I was fucking devastated because I was like, man, okay, well, what is going to make me happy? You know, I was still clean and everything, but this was just me going through that process of finding what was going to be fulfilling to me. Um, and once I realized it wasn't going to be, you know, a dollar amount, uh, and then maybe like, I don't know, a couple months later, uh, or maybe like right at that time was when this happened with the woman's son, um, and, and, and I was so upset and I couldn't realize, you know, why I was upset. And I was talking about it in counseling and, uh, you know, my counselor was like, Hey man, did you ever think that like 
maybe you're this upset because you do feel like you have a responsibility to talk about the things that you've been through. And I always kind of felt that underlying. I just didn't have the confidence to go out and talk about it. You know, it takes uh, repetition and, and, and getting more comfortable and doing, you know, stuff like this. And uh, that was kind of a daunting thing to me. I mean, I was, what, 24 at the time. And I was like, man, who's going to listen to me? Like, I'm a fucking 24-year-old kid that, you know, wants to talk about stuff. Who the hell is going to listen to me, right? And uh, the problem was I was saying no for everyone else instead of letting them say no for themselves. And, uh, you know, once I realized that and I started sharing my story, I just felt so empowered and my whole perspective on how I looked at my past and the things that I have gone through change. And I didn't look at it as, man, I can't believe, you know, all that happened and it set me back, you know, so far and damn, imagine where I'd be if I didn't do all that dumb shit. And I started to think about it and I was like, man, that's fucking empowering. It's like such an empowering story to think, dude, holy shit. Like I should have died. Like countless times. And here I am. And I have this testimony to share. And there's so many people that I can make an impact on. And I'm sitting here worrying about like how much money I'm making, you know? Um, and I'm not saying it's, it's a bad thing to want to make money or anything, but it was just more so as I was looking at that as, uh, you know, what was going to make me happy. Um, so, uh, I, I kind of got off topic there. <laughs> Sorry about no, that. No, it's, it's about, you know, like the, the sense of duty to, to share, um, about you know like you know like your your past you know like so sometimes you know like I, I you know like I know that sometimes it gets um, quite um, that's it, it is a lot of pressure. It can be, but um, I guess the the only reason I think it's a lot of pressure is when you're concerned about how the other people view you, right? And I don't give a shit. I don't care how anyone views me. I don't value anyone's opinion of me over myself, not even my wife, my mother, anyone. So once I kind of got to that point in my life and I was able to internalize that, you know, what people thought about me just had no value on who I was as a person, then it was able, then I was able to actually share my story a lot easier. And it became like really simple because I was like, Hey man, like, I feel like I have a duty to share this with you. If you want to take it, great. Like if you don't, and you think I'm a fucking idiot, then cool, by all means. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I know it sounds like more simple, you know, than it is, but that process took a long time for me um, as far as getting to that point with my confidence level and, uh, you know, my level of security because I was a very insecure person, very, very insecure. Um, you know, I cared about everything that people thought about me. I had to have like the nicest shit and shoes and car and like all this stuff. And then I got to this point where I was like, wow, I'm wasting so much energy on this shit. And it just doesn't matter, dude. Like when I got to this point where I accepted who I was and I just love myself so much, I was like, man, I don't need to concern myself with any of this shit that people think about me. Yeah. And, and, and at the same time, um, you, on, you know, like as long as you can stay yourself, you know, like it, it doesn't matter. Well, and it opens the door so much for me to actually make a difference in more people's lives because the thing before is I had insecurity and I was afraid of approaching people and speaking to them. But then once I got rid of that, uh, I started to approach people and engage in conversations and be the one to initiate things. And so many amazing outcomes have come from that. 
Um, so, you know, I think when you get to that point where you can realize that like, it's all about your love for yourself and like how you view yourself and, and not about what all the other people in the world think about you, then you can make such a bigger difference. Yeah. I was about to say, it's not about image management, right? You're like, it's all, you know, um, no, I mean, it's not. And think about this, dude, like my company did fucking 70 million last year. Like, I don't know, that's pretty fucking huge. Right. Um, but I, I'm not walking around like, Oh dude, like, Hey man, I'm the best. Like we did this boss shit. Like, no, I don't give a fuck. Like the more money that the company makes, the more people I can hire, the more people I can make an impact on. That's the way I look at it. That's great. And you know, as long as you're genuine, you know, like, you know, like you kind of, yeah, just being transparent. You know, like, it's just, there's no pressure into that. You know, like you're yourself, you know, like you, 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 you just stay Dude, being it's you. it's such a relieving feeling when you stop trying to impress the world. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, like the, the what you see is what you get thing is, um, is powerful. It's quite And you powerful. know what? People respect you a thousand times more for it. And the ones that don't, it's because they don't value authenticity themselves. Yes. And at the same time, like there, there's, we're, we're in such a weird, um, period of time, you know, like where all of that becomes, um, you know, like so important, you know, like the, the best selfie, the best, uh, Instagram post, the best, this, that, you know, like, it's just nuts, you know, like, so, so I get it that people don't want to show their weaknesses and, or talk about them, you know, like, so, so it's, um, it's, I think it's even more challenging right now, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. A hundred percent. Um, you know, with where we are culturally in the world and just, especially in society in America, I mean, dude, it's crazy. Like the cool shit is like having the nice house and the hot girlfriend and the, and the cool car. And it's like, bro, yeah. Call me when you're depressed because you realize that none of that shit's going to make you happy. Exactly. And you know, like there's, there's, and we're in this like fake it till you make it culture and i fucking hate it dude because in my opinion fake it till you make it leads to depression right because most of the people that try to fake it till they make it well they're not actually putting in the effort to make it so they never will and then when they don't they'll think to themselves damn well if i can't make it then i guess i'm going to be depressed because there's nothing else that i can do in my life but they never were putting in the initial effort to begin with Yeah, but you know, like sometimes I I flip that fake it till you make it upside down. You know, like meaning that sometimes you just don't um, believe you can do something. And I, you know, like I I tend to say, well, fake it. You know, like just, (laughs) you know. You know um, what I tell people? I don't tell them to fake it. I say, okay, good. Guess what? You can talk yourself into that. You're right. Because the biggest thing, man, is the mind can be your best friend if you learn how to talk yourself into shit. When we were using drugs, we were talking ourselves into some shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why can't we do it now? Oh, I'm not, you know, like I'm I'm far from saying the opposite. I'm not saying you're saying we can. I'm just saying, you know, my perspective is like, hey, man, you know, fuck the faking it. Let's just have a conversation and and I'm going to talk to you about why you're worth it. Oh, and, and, you know, like I, I love that. You know, like what I'm saying, sometimes... Because of the very low self-esteem that people can have of themselves, you're like, you're, you're just like, okay, but pretend and move on. Sure. I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. Cause it's, it's gonna, you know, like it's gonna 
almost leverage itself out by the time you're got you're gonna attain those objectives. And so sometimes it's all about um the early days of that podcast, for example. You know, like you, you, there's I think like 20 million podcasts a year going coming out. You know, like it's it's just the numbers are staggering. And so the the your your low self-esteem brain will you know would tell me just don't fucking launch that you know like you're gonna be like a grain of salt in the ocean why why would you do that and then again you know like, it's well, like no no because no, that fuck one it. person needs that grain of thought or that yeah, grain of salt <laughs> exactly and then you you that's where you pretty much fake it as if you were spotify hey, number one <laughs> you know you know where i think a lot of that comes from though because i used to think about this too like like i was saying earlier you know i didn't want to share my story because damn who's gonna listen to me right well, yep. I realized that I was basing it off of my own ego, right? Because who gives a shit, right? It doesn't matter if anyone listens to me or not. Like I feel compelled and, and I feel this conviction to share this um, and it's going to help me out in my life. And if it reaches a person, great. Um, you know, it's not about like, Hey, oh, well, man, I'm not going to have this massive thing, you know, because I feel like a lot of people just never start because that's what they think. And, but, but I, I understand both sides of that, you know, like, you know, like I do this on, um, you know, like I, I have, this thing is a money pit for me. You know, like I've spent money on, on, um, buying the hardware. I spent money on, on, um, you know, like having licenses for what we're listening, you know, we're recording this onto, um, I've thrown money into that, like a, a wild man and I'm not making a dime out of this. Um, there's like a combination of, um, you want as many people for the sake of helping, you know, like helping someone else, you know, like there's, there's no doubt in my mind and in my, my soul that I'm doing this with the purpose of opening people's mind on ways that they can live a, a, a better life. You know, like no doubt at the sure. same, at the same time, there's, there's part of me that, you know, like I don't want, and th th that's really hard to trace the line of how much this is ego and how much this is, um, you know, like have as many people listen and then get, if they can get help from that, because, you know, like I've received those, I still do, you know, I receive those message from people saying, thanks for the podcast. You know, like, you know, like it, it really does help me. I have a hard time, like either going into like a meeting room or or whatever and finding counseling that you know like fits my bill um and then listening to the podcast helps me at the same time like if yeah. i want to reach out to as many people as you know like let's say it's one percent you know like well i need at least a hundred people to listen to the podcast to reach out to one uh you know like so there's like a, always like a mix and just like a mishmash in my brain of okay so if i pay for that whatever you know like facebook marketing campaign of you know like that of my website or whatever am i doing it for the right reason or i'm doing it because i you know like it's it's nice to see more followers on my instagram feed you know like which is just fucked up you know like that's not it's it's even even well, within I myself i up. do but within myself i do have those kind of dilemma of you know like am i doing this for the right reason yeah i mean like it's always the same goal like it's is as much people as I reach out to, um, if it's 1%, you know, like, and, and then I reach out and 200 
people listens to the podcast, that means two people. <laughs> you know, well, like, I mean, I would, I would almost challenge you to think like this, like, Hey man, just because you're making an impact doesn't mean you can't make an income with it. You know what I mean? Oh, that's the other part. You know, like, Oh man. I mean, I feel like the old age Christian era of money shame in my own gotcha. fucking brain, Connor, you know, like, so, sure. <laughs> so no, I get it. Dude. Um, recently, um, some co-op of podcasts has, has, has approached me and I've decided to be part of that, you know, like, and, and which is like two, 300 podcasts worldwide that they just collaborate together to help each other. And, um, Next thing you know, you know, like within, you know, like I was like, what's in it for me? Not in the sense of money, but in the sense of, you know, like what's, what's in it for me for well, the how co- can this grow my brand? Exactly. How, how can we help each other? And it was all about, you know, like, well, we can actually do ad placement for you and we can do, you know, like I was like, oh, you know, like I felt bad. And at the same time, I understand why I feel bad because I wouldn't want my listeners to be interrupted in the middle of our conversation, Connor, with, you know, like some kind of misplaced ad of whatever product that you know like is going to give me i don't know like two cents per fucking clicks you know like so well can you code it into where the people could skip it if they want to because i think that would be cool well that's what's called a patreon right like which is like the that's making a patreon out of your podcast is probably which i did you know like so um and then I'm working on that, you know, like, but it's hard because, you know, like, the, again, you know, like, it's like I told you before we started recording, especially in Quebec, there's really something about like the, um, well, first of all, um, it's been generations that, you know, like our relationship with money is just a mess, you know, like, so, you know, like we don't talk about people's income. We don't talk about people's debts. We don't talk about, you know, like, it's just, it's a shameful conversation all over. Really? So that's just like where you're at. Pretty much the culture is kind of like that. It is big time. Really? Big Hmm. time. You don't talk, you don't talk about money. You know, like, so sex, money, and politics are three things, you know, (laughs) your your parents talks like your parents teaches you that. Really? Sex, sex, money, and politics are the three things oh, you don't talk I mean, at dinner table. I definitely agree about like, hey, man, you shouldn't be going out talking about your sex life with everybody. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of that one. <laughs> well, see, well, that's interesting, Connor, because, it, you know, like after a few generations, we have way less problems talking about our sex lives than we do about what? talking about our salary. Damn, dude, that's really crazy, because me personally, I would feel way less comfortable talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh where does well, that I, mean, I think i think it's just because like i really value the um what's the word I'm, the sacredness of a marriage between two people and what the fuck am i gonna go out and talk about my interpersonal dealings with the person that i care about most like fuck that i feel I, like that's so disrespectful i hear you i hear you what i'm saying is that you know like the the same attributes or objectives that you gave to your intimate life some will say about you know like why would I share such a secretive and, and, you know, like uh, confidential information with you about my salary and income? And like, well, no, I mean, I I definitely agree with like, Hey, you shouldn't go around bragging about your salary and income, but I mean, talking about money, like I talk to my employees about money all the time, because uh, if there's anything that I can do to help them manage their finances and make investments and just have better lives, like, of course I'm going to do that. 
and 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 then again you know like it's it's all about the personal relation that that i think it's almost a, you know like the nation has developed with with money that's kind of um a bit messed up that i mean i think said, a lot you know, of that also has to do with like the media talking about how the rich are evil and all this shit oh big time and 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 then again you're like you you it's it's um good intent um you know like um almost um like i've 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 spent many hundreds of dollars making this podcast work you know like it would be just logical for me to say just for the sake of breaking even you know like it would be it wouldn't be bad i don't want to go joe rogan fuck you money 200 million thing you know, like that's, <laughs> and i and i understand that you know like that's it it wouldn't even be um what i'm doing is not mainstream you know like what i'm doing is not you know, like it, it is for uh you know like a super niche um pocket of individuals I mean, dude i kind of like the whole concept just about cold turkey and not even really directing it about addiction dude because like there's so many things i mean dude people quit like fucking binge eating cold turkey because they're sick of being fat like I, what absolutely and you know like i i i i told you like i i, I want i want it to be expanding to all of these situation where someone um breaks the the whatever cycle for me a cold turkey moment means that you know like you can actually break whatever cycle that hurts you sometimes it's you know some will you know like some will stop or try to be more moderate or or um reasonable on their training regimen for example yeah, and, for, and sure. for me, and for me, that works too. You know, like I've I've hurt myself by overtraining. You know, and so you know, like it's a long debate about you know, like nature or nurtured and all that. You know, like and I, you know, like sometimes, you know, like for me, sometimes it's almost like a rabbit hole of conversation. But I know well, that I, mean, I do have that obsessive and compulsive gene in me. Yeah, so it's not what, a bad thing. <laughs> oh that's where i have it too <laughs> exactly and 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 i i could have tell but you know like um what's interesting about that is when i touch you know like i was about to say whatever i touch but not necessarily but you know like i can can i overeat you just become very passionate about the things that you do which is ah, great th that's nice i've always said that my wife will lovingly say that it, those are my passions quote unquote yeah man but then again sure. if if i you know like i always kind of say the same thing you know like if i if i spent three nights not sleeping compulsively right. and obsessively thinking about something that passion you know like that that passionates me sure you know like i'm hurting myself well, and it's you'll, it's you'll love this dude i always ask myself this question anything that i go into passionately because i'm just like you i'll go all in and i won't sleep i'll just fucking do it right so yeah. i always ask myself when i'm going into anything at the expense of what question mark exactly that's exactly it but you know it, it and it's precisely when okay so there's there's a next to that which is to the expense of what and is the answer is i don't fucking care you're actually hurting yourself 
Yes, exactly. You're 100% right. Because you have to know, because <laughs> hey, man, like everything you do has an expense. And I'm not even talking about money or anything. I'm talking about it could be, you know, something in your relationship that isn't as good because of the time that you were spending before. Um, it could be something with your relationship with your children. Like it could be anything, dude. It doesn't have to be money. That's why I say like at the expense of what, like, hey, okay, I'm going to go out and drink till 2am, but then I got to go show up at work at 8am. Well, I'm probably going to be worthless, right? So when I went out drinking, it was at the expense of my next work day, me being a shithole the whole day. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, like I said, you know, like sometimes it's all about understanding that, um, you know, like this is, this is pretty much a gene I got in me and I yeah, need exactly. to be careful about that gene. That's it. You just got to use I, it right, bro. That's it. Yeah. But you just got to use it right. I, I totally agree with you, but you know, like what I'm, sometimes it can happen with a bag of fucking chips and sometimes it happens and you know, like I don't have time by the end that I, you know, like by the end I've emptied the bag that I've asked my, yeah. that answered that question, you know, like to the expense of my fat ass, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> but really though, man, that's true. There's an expense to everything we do, you know, whether it be good or bad, I think, uh, expense has such a negative connotation and I could even say consequence because consequence isn't negative or positive. It's just an outcome based off of decisions. Exactly. And you know, like, that's why this is such an interesting conversation for me. And so when someone you know, like, and that's what makes a cold turkey moment even more interesting because what happened? Because, you know, like a few years back, either of I would, wouldn't, well, wouldn't, would be probably too stoned to have that conversation, but, you know, um, you know, like we, we didn't ask ourselves those questions back, back at, you know, like back, back in the days at oh, all. Oh, definitely. We had no awareness. And we didn't care, <laughs> you know, like yeah, it was I mean, more. Well, you so, can't really care if you don't know that that's more important. You know, like uh, I think a lot of people, the reason why they don't care is because they don't know that there is an alternative. And so that's why but I made that's this purpose. Why you doing this is great, bro, because you're actually letting people know that, hey, man, it doesn't have to be like that. Exactly. And that's why I make the purpose of the podcast discussing about what, you know, like what is the strike a lightning what, what is this you know like what's going on how come our brain all of a sudden changed the way it, 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 it thinks about you know like precisely those obsessions and compulsions and um for me it's fascinating you know like i you know i like, can that's why you know like i i love having those conversation <laughs> twice a week you know I'm, because it's, i feel like it's probably different for everyone though i mean i don't know i think they're surprising they're surprisingly more in common than I even I thought. Really? That's what, you know, no shit. Oh, where my wife, you know, like my wife did Al-Anon a few times, right? And she's not, you know, like an addict in any shape or form. So for those sure. that listens, Al-Anon is actually for anyone that are uh, relatives to someone that has substance abuse problems. And I'm not saying, you know, like, I think that they're great. They could be great help for people, but you know, like I'm, I'm not encouraging everyone, anyone to go, but I'm saying that this is one resource that exists that is precisely for the people like father, son, brother, wife, husband, and so on. You know, like, so this is, it's called Al-Anon. Um, and, um, and yeah, and she, she went twice. Uh, once or twice and then when she came back i was like so and she was she had cried the old fucking time you know like and, and, and I was like, why did you cry i said well 
because it was all wives of Alex's. (laughs) (laughs) I sat with a bunch of wives of people like you. And, you know, like the people that, you know, like that shared were talking about situations and, 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 and moments that were exactly what I was going through, you know, like, and, and she was not saying about, you know, like a painful experience, just, you know, like kind of em- and embracing that, you know, like, again, you know, like passion, quote unquote, or that obsession, mm-hmm. obsession and compulsion, just like sometimes my wife would just look at me is like, oh, okay. So there's no, you know, like I'm going to be eating, like I'm, I'm hungry, you know, like really hungry. And she's like, Okay, so it's one of those nights that, you know, like there's like bottomless pit, you know, like I'm like, yeah, that's tonight. (laughs) And so, so, and then my wife starts laughing and say, so in 20 minutes, you're going to be lying down the couch, like just in pain. (laughs) Like, why did I do this? (laughs) I ate too much. And I just, yes, (laughs) that's going to be it. I can see what you're saying though, about, you know, the dynamic being very similar because I mean, you know, that compulsion, it comes from emotions and it comes from, you know, something within. So I can definitely see the circumstances being similar. Oh, I mean, and, and, and the, and some, and, and it's a long, I've been with my wife for like, 13, 14 years. And you're like, we've always had like a, a long ass debate about, you know, like there's, my wife says there's level to this. Oh yeah. And I used to say that there wasn't. And my wife's like, no, 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 no. When sometimes. Oh, there's there, levels. hundred you know, percent. Like, oh, and then sometimes, you know, like my, my, the, you know, like I've brought some people that were, you know, like addict friends and, and she's like, there's some of the people that you've brought you know, like to parties or whatever, that they just suck the attention or air out of a, a place in seconds. And you can feel that they, they never have enough of even attention right. and have enough oh, yeah, of, of sure. you know, and, and, and it's not about, you know, like, it's just that, well, you know, like that, the, that's that insecurity manifesting itself as being outgoing. Yeah. And it's, it's just a uh, lot of people are like that, man, especially addicts, like from the beginning, they want to be the center of attention because that's one thing that actually makes them feel good about themselves. And unfortunately it's a slippery slope to go down. It is, it is, it's crazy. And so, Hey, I would have hours of conversation like that. You know, like for me, it's just so interesting because you know, like there's, there's definitely more in common that, you know, like sometimes even I would have guessed. And at the same time, each and every one um, origins. And that's why I, you know, like the more I move along that path of that podcast journey, the more I truly believe that there's situation where it's nurtured, right? You're like you, you kind of replicate what you've been shown in your, you know, like in, in your, in your growing up, you know, but I, more and more strongly believe that, you know, like there's something in our blood that makes it much easier because, you know, like you, you talked about your brother, your brother is born in the same environment and hasn't developed, um, such a good passion for substance, unless you correct me, but you know, like, you know, like I have brothers, no, and, right. you know, like I have, I have a brother and sister and, you know, like not that they, 
and I was not replicating anything at, in the asshole, but I, I created my own. <laughs> I invented, you know, like something, you know, like sure my grandparents and, you know, like especially on my mother's side, you know, like there was more alcohol and they loved partying, but it was nothing that, you know, like you could describe as that, you know, like too much. They were heavy drinkers for sure, but, you know, like they would have never been labeled as alcoholics, even though later that, you know, later I, my grandfather was most probably, a, you know, like a severe alcoholic, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like, the, you know, like it, it wasn't something that, you know, like I, w so for some that, you know, like would say, oh yeah, but you know, like you, you've learned by, you know, like nurturing, you know, like to develop the, the, the addiction on like, nah, there's something in me. Well, I mean, I don't know. I would challenge you on that just because like, you know, the way that I view it, we spoke about it a little bit before. Um, you know, I don't view it as a disease and like, you know, just something within me that has this compulsiveness to just, you know, get high until I kill myself. Like mine was completely based off of emotions that I had that I had no idea how to deal with. And so like a, a lot growing up when my parents were alcoholics and, you know, they were abusive and stuff like that, I always felt like I was a protector for my brother. And I kind of felt like I bore most of the burden of that kind of stuff from our childhood. Um, if that makes any sense, you know, the way that I view it is the unresolved trauma is what led me to use drugs. And then once I was able to resolve internalize process and move forward from that trauma, I had no issue because I didn't even feel like altering my state of mind. Uh, uh, like I, I, I totally but, agree. But what you're saying about the obsessive compulsive, I do still have that because I just apply it to positive shit in my life. Exactly. But too much of good can be bad as well. Oh, you're right. That's why you just have to have that. <laughs> the biggest thing, dude, that I've realized in my life is if I just have so much self-awareness, like exactly. there's no way that I'm going to get too far gone because I'll yep. realize like, hey, I'm headed down this road that I probably shouldn't go. Exactly. And the more, the more time I accumulate in my sobriety, the more I, I, that switch turns on quick, quicker. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. You know, like, so, so, um, you're absolutely right. But I, you know, like there, there was, you know, like in the early days of my sobriety out of, you know, like whatever, what have popped in my mind, I could, you know, like I could be traveling to go buy something that I didn't have the money for put it on the credit, right. you know, like, because I was compulsing sure. on getting something new. And so by the time, you know, even purchased it in some instances and then realizing, ah, oh, shit, I fell into that trap again, you know, I like, can, and, and, um, and so the more, the more and more it goes, um, I can actually fill a cart on Amazon and empty it <laughs> Dude, before I, I press so buy. So I used to do shit like that too, but then I realized that I wasn't doing it out of like obsessive compulsiveness. I was doing it because I was so concerned about other people's opinions of me. Ah, but uh, I'm, that's because the other thing. You, you, you would buy stuff probably like for the podcast and, you know, stuff for your home and shit like that. Like I would buy stuff that would make me just like look like I was better off than I was, if that makes any sense. Ah, yeah, yeah I get it. Absolutely. And then, you know, like th there's this as well, you know, like, so, so for me, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it's just like flattening the curve, right? You know, like it's flattening those spikes 
Because sometimes it goes like, oh shit, you know, like just got a new dog. You know, like I got to find the best this and that, you know, I like, can yeah, read, uh -huh. read the best book and, you know, like be like the best fucking trainer ever. And, and so I'm not kidding. Like last week, just right before we got the dog, you know, like the, the, we, we found a trainer that's going to come a few, a few days here. And, um, and she spent like half an hour, 45 minutes to, just see how much I was set up. And, uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm even ashamed to say it, but you know, like I, I, I bought like a huge trunk, wood trunk in which, you know, like I had filled with, you know, like all kinds of shit in there, you know, like treats and goodies and, 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 and for whatever, the dog. Gotcha. gadgets and, you know, and uh, and then she came and was like okay so i have cage one for this and i have cage two because i read that you and know, she's like, like hey guess what that's not right <laughs> well uh, that's and then she was like that's that's too much you know like i'm like yeah uh -huh. but uh, let me open the trunk here and then i open I the trunk it. and she's like uh oh my god you know like and obviously <laughs> she never had you know like uh, <laughs> she never had that, like, that damn you're the most prepared individual i've ever visited <laughs> and while she was um putting you know like like putting her boots back to you know like to leave that's exactly what she said to my wife if every one of my customer were as well prepared i probably i would i would have less job and yeah, my wife looked at me, he's like, sure. oh my, I knew it. You know, like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, but you know, like, so, you know, you want to be set, you know, like you want to be prepared. And we, we received another box. Was it from Amazon today? Anyways. And she looked at me, he's like, still? I'm like, yeah, there's, there was some backlog. I'm sorry. You know, like, so <laughs> there's, I mean, all... I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing though, man, because you it know, you're not. doing your due diligence, you know? It is not. It's just that if I'm. Where, where it is bad is, you know, like if you, well, top your credit card, lie to your wife that you're topping your credit oh, yeah, card. Yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. Like that, that that's vicious cycle, you know, like that's, that's where it becomes like a, a, sometimes a vicious cycle of stuff. But sure. and then, you know, like the, you, you, you kind of, you put like, like a few rocks on your backpacks, right? Like the, the rock of lying, the rock of shame, the rock of, you know, like, and so that's that's that exactly where it's heavy quick big time big <laughs> time and so with all of that connor i have to thank you for for your time and yeah, we've man, been running definitely. we've been running an hour 20 right now and you know like it's been uh it's been an awesome conversation like i i repeat myself every week but i do enjoy every one of those um discussions because i think you know like even though you know like like i said you know like they have quite a lot of similarities you know like i always like the and i told you before we started recording kind of the the take that everyone has on that call it a sickness codic you know like a genetic anomaly whatever the fuck it is you know like there's definitely something there and you know like th there's there's i think as many people that have been afflicted by those challenges in their life that there are solutions to get it out of them you know like so um and so i just got your take on it connor and i appreciate it you know it's really appreciate uh, appreciate the conversation yeah man i mean i appreciate you having me on you know people like you that give me uh, a bigger platform to be able to share my story uh is amazing you know i feel like the more impact that uh we can make collectively as a community the better
Absolutely. And we before I we 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 finish that podcast is are there any places on which you either like share the wisdom, you know, like, you know like or or talk about it or you know like is there any way that people can actually reach out to you? Yeah, definitely. So, um I actually just made a new Instagram. My old Instagram was Connor Miller Media, um but that Instagram has been uh, I don't know, somewhat censored due to my political views. So <laughs> I started a new page and um, it's called Real Connor Miller and Connor is C-O-N-N-O-R. Um, and you guys can find me there. I have highlights on my page of stuff about business, recovery, investing, and uh, you know stuff of that nature. Awesome. So for everyone listening, if you scroll down to the description, you're going to find all of the links that uh, Connor is going to share with me. Um, so, you know, you can find him easily with that. I thank you again, Connor, really appreciated your time and, um, I wish you the best, but you know, like both, uh, in, in all of the businesses, ventures that you, you, you start off with or continue with and, and your own personal life as well. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. Definitely wishing you the best as well. I'm sure this won't be the last time we speak. Oh, no doubt. Take care. <laughs>